Kwaba, welcome back to the Team Ghana U podcast. Bite Size, where you receive news, updates, discussion, and everything significant football and Ghana related. As always, I want you, the listeners, to be actively involved by tweeting or emailing us for discussion or wanting more information. Today, I'm joined by a friend and football player, Beris Mugabe, who plays for Motherwell and is a Ugandan international. I've known Beris for a very long time, and we'll get into his story in just a moment. But I want to get, well, today, I want to get into a discussion um, about the diaspora playing for their country of heritage. Um, so briefly, um, to give the listeners some background, in chronological order, can you tell us the professional clubs you've played for, including your academy experience? Okay, um, I'll say I'll start off with IFA, where we actually first met. Yeah. So that was a Fulham Development Centre, which I was there for for a few years with the coach and with you and Eugene Duarte. And then um, from there, I've signed for Fulham Academy. Then from Fulham Academy, I've signed for Southampton. Then from Southampton to Yeovil Town, then Yeovil Town to Motherwell. Cool. And how many years were you uh, um, officially signed as a player at Fulham Football Club? I was there for three years, from under 13s to under 16s. Cool. And oh, you didn't do the scholar there, did you? So you did. No. Get... The scholar was at um, Southampton. Yeah. Cool. And how many years were you there for? I was at Southampton for five years in total. Five years. Yeah, it's a long cool. time. And from there, and then from there, you went to Yeovil. Yeah. Cool. And how long have you been at Motherwell? Um, this is my second season. Cool. And how are things at Motherwell at this moment in time? Pretty well. Um, pretty good, to be fair. Um, last season was kind of a transitional period for me. With, um, yeah. I was signing fairly late um, into the season. So I think I signed in November, beginning of November, after I played in African Cup of Nations. And um, yeah, that was like a transitional period of just trying to cement my team, my, um, my place in the team and just get into terms of the tactics that they wanted to play, formations and stuff like that. So this year, I feel like I've actually stepped up to the plate and like, I understand what the manager wants from, from myself and the team. And just trying to take on that kind of leadership role within the team with the experience that I've got. Cool, cool, cool. Um, is it a young team or is it an experienced team? I would say it's a fairly young team. I think the average age is probably in and around my age, 24, 25, with a few older experienced players within the team. Cool. Oh, are you playing with Junior? I played against Junior, yeah. Okay, but you're not playing with Junior? No, 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 no. Okay, cool. Okay, so just um, for the benefit of the listeners, we're talking about Junior Marias. Um, we all, we were all together at some, at some point um, mm-hmm. when, when we were at Fulham Football Club. There's... Um, there's there's this notion, obviously, in regards to um, Scottish football that it's I want to say weak, but that's not the word I'm actually looking for. Yeah. Um, but like it's this year and last year, so say that again. People look down upon it. Yeah, definitely. I think people definitely look down upon it. But I mean, in me listening to the radio, whether it's talk sport or otherwise, um, yeah, you get you get that notion. But I mean, I've been watching it over the past two years in particular since. Rangers have come back into the four and kind of like essentially been challenging Celtic. And, and for me, it's a really exciting league. I mean, like, can you tell us maybe a little bit more? Definitely. Um, of course, like I had the same thoughts that you did when I first like got the phone call saying, Bevis, we want you to come up to Scotland. I was thinking, I don't really know what I'm getting myself into. What's the standard going to be like? Yeah. Um, obviously, me when I was at Yeovil Town, I was in League Two. And I would say... It's a bit of a strange league, I'm not going to lie, because you've got like the Celtics, the Rangers, who are like, their budget's like above, like championship team, you could say. Cool. And you've got like the Hibs, Aberdeens, who are like yeah. top League One champ. Then like the rest are like League One or League Two. So it's like, it's a bit of a random league. Yeah. But 
looking at the standard, it's actually pretty good. I was surprised myself when I actually played my first well, my first game against Aberdeen, and like compared the standard to what I was playing to playing at, pre- at previously, it was pretty similar, if not better. Cool. And so it just, it just obviously, I know we're in we're in, in lockdown at this moment in time, and obviously, you wouldn't have played in front of a crowd for let's say close to a year. Um, or, yeah. yeah, close to a year. Have you played at Ibrox and have you played at Celtic Park? Played at Celtic Park this season, yeah, Celtic Park. Okay, um, in front of people or was that um, in lockdown? Um, that was well, a few weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, like in lockdown, like you said, no fans were allowed in, so. Okay, cool. And Ibrox, was that in front of a crowd or was that um, in lockdown as well? I was in front of, I was in front of the crowd. Okay, cool. And how did that feel? That's a proper game. Yeah, I know. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a proper game. You can feel it. You can feel the like the pressure from the crowd. Like they're just on to you. That's a prop. That's what footballers, the type of environment footballers want to play in. That's a yeah. proper game, and you like that's a proper away game. Like you're trying <laughs> to stop your teammate, you can't. They can't hear you. You just have to just have hand signals, hand signals, literally, because it's so intense. And like, yeah, like I loved it. Yeah, I love playing in that type of environment because that's what I live for. That's what I always wanted to do when I was younger. You just took the words out of my mouth. I, I actually live for those actual pressure moments, whether it's... Um, well, anyway, I live for those pressure moments, obviously, when I was coaching and obviously when I was scouting as well. I love those moments. And, yeah, essentially, you live for those moments. That's why you you educate yourself or, or, or you play football, obviously, as a youngster, then get yourself into the academy system and obviously then ultimately get yourself a pro. Um, yeah. You were at the famed Southampton Academy. Obviously, you were there for five years. I know you were captain of the under-23s at some given point. And played with some great players. Can you tell us, obviously, what's different about Southampton, like the mystique that surrounds it? I'll just say um, just the coaching side of things and um, just like the one-on-one sessions that we've done. Like everything was just for development, 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 improvement to make that step up into the first team. And like for when I signed, I signed like a kind of special age where I kind of signed into like the golden generation that's what they called it when I first um, signed for Southampton with the likes of James Wood-Prowse, Luke Shaw, Callum Chambers, Harrison Reed, Jordan Turnbull, G. Bolly. Like that was a golden generation. That was, like, I didn't even know where it was when I first. Then I was so confused. <laughs> <laughs> a few years down the line, they're getting pushed into the first thing, so it made sense. So um, I think I signed at a special time with the yeah. end of like um, history, and um, yeah, like especially within my age group, they were just pushing us, pushing us, because they knew they had like a good good age group within that sense, to be honest, we'd have a solid foundation where they could build from and like obviously develop and earn money from them. So, And like, is there anything unique you take away from that experience? I'll just say like, just, it was just the mindset of the players that I was around as well. Yeah. Like, at that age as well, 16, 17, 18, when it's time to train, it's time to train. Like, the train, we, our, our age, we trained like a pretty much a first team, to be honest with you, with the intensity that we trained at. And like, every day, like, meant something. You wanted to be the best player in training. You wanted to be the last one going in from training. You wanted to keep on doing the extras after training. So it's just that mindset that I had, or that the age we had within itself, which made it special for me personally and what I took from it. Both clubs are very good, but what was different from what? Yeah, what was the difference between Southampton and Fulham? And I'm not necessarily saying anything negative about Fulham. I just want to know what would what was the difference? Okay, I'd say um, with Fulham, 
it was just like win by any means necessary, you could say. Just win okay. the game. Win, just win, which is the same. It's a good trait to have. Of course, yeah. it's football. It's a result-based business. So, But with Southampton, it's just purely about development and what you actually need as a player because I'm going to be different to a James Will Prowse or Luke Shaw. I'm going to be totally different. So the sessions that they put on for me personally just helped me develop to my whole game. So that's what I would say the difference was just the fine, the fine, the finer details, you could say. And can you see why Gareth Bell is Gareth Bell? But even moving away from Gareth Bell, I mean, there's so many players that you you name there, like Ward Prowse, um, James Chambers, and so on and so forth. Can you see why they are the way they are? Oh, definitely, definitely. Especially coming from obviously over from Southampton Academy, you can tell how or why they've gone so far within their careers already. And Gareth Bell's one of the best players in the world and James Will Prowse, Luke Shaw, all quality players that are playing in the Premier League. So it all makes sense. I brought you on specifically to discuss your international journey with Uganda. In my experience, yeah. the diaspora feel that there's a disconnect, obviously, between back home and obviously where they're from. So whether it could be London, it could be Amsterdam, it could be Berlin, um, some of them, the ones who I speak with, feel there's a disconnect. Selection at youth level is difficult for a number of reasons. And um, Was you at Youth International at U- with Uganda? No, I wasn't. I wasn't. Cool. And, like, is there any reasons why you weren't? And are you aware whether they were on your radar? Or whether they, yeah, whether you were on their radar, sorry. Um, I remember when I was, like, under 70s, I was on, like, standby for England. But that was just, like, this, I didn't really think much of it. Then, um, I think, like, a year later, I got a call from the Ugandan... Um, first team coach Bobby Williamson I think was uh, on stage and um, he just said yeah he wanted to call me up to like the first team I was like 18 I was like to be honest with you I'm not ready for that step up right now to be really honest with you like I haven't fully developed a bit my body and um, I still got a lot more things to learn I haven't even played a professional game yet so me, <laughs> exactly me making that step up from scholar under 18s to first team going to Uganda Playing with men was too much of a step up high for definitely within my career to do that. So I said, oh, to be honest, I'm not ready. I can't do it. And um, yeah, that was the most interest that I got when, within those ages. And like now that you're like you're 25 now, so I mean you you've grown up, you've matured, and you've obviously played within the system for a very long time. Do you understand? You've been to Uganda obviously on numerous occasions. Do you understand the difficulties at that age? Um, in being selected to play for Uganda, you asked to play um, a senior international. But can you see the difficulties maybe the actual football federation have in being able to select players from the diaspora in England or or, or wherever um, to play for their youth international? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because um, even at that age, if you're playing in England, for example, you're not really thinking about playing for your motherland country. To be brutally honest with you, your full focus is playing for your club and then hopefully getting that England under 18 capital, under 17 capital, just build from there. Like, even at that age for me, Uganda wasn't really on my mind, to be brutally honest with you. So, and, um, sorry, go and continue. Yeah, but um, especially be, Uganda being, I would say, just a smaller country within the yeah. football world, it's, it, I wasn't really thinking about it, but maybe if it was like, um, Nigeria, for example, or Ivory Coast or Ghana, then maybe it'll be a bit more appealing because it's a bigger name. 
It's a bigger country and they've got a long history of doing well in competitions. So um, for me personally, I think younger people won't be really thinking about playing for the home country or motherland country. Um, what was the process in becoming an international? And was there any ha- apprehension or nerves based on obviously what you said earlier in being 18 at the time and not necessarily rejecting it, but making a decision, you know what, I'm going to bide my time before obviously I make that step up. Was there any form of apprehension? But even away from that, um, as to... So how many times have you been to Uganda before then? One time. One time. So that's yeah. the apprehension I'm talking about. Yeah, of course. I was nervous. Like I was like, what am I getting myself into? You know, beforehand, even before I got my first actual call-up um, that I actually went to, I was like, just nervous. Like my mum was worried. Like Bebe's like, when you go, I have to be there. I was like, mum, don't worry. Like, <laughs> This I'm like 21 years, I'm 21 now, like I can hold my own. And plus I've got loads of family in Uganda that I can rely on if I need help. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, when I first got my um, call up that I actually accepted and went to, I was ready, I think I was 21, 22. And it was, it was like only a friendly match so I can have like an insight to what I'm actually getting myself into. Cool. Um, that's when I understand, understood like what it actually means to play for your country and like the love that you get and so on and so forth. At that point when you were asked to play for Uganda, was there anything in your mind as to even the possibility of even playing for England? Um, you've always got that little like thing in the back of your head that oh, it's possible, but when I went to Uganda and I understood like where I came from and like the journey that my mum's had, and um, it's got a much more of a powerful feeling or meaning within it to go home and actually pay for my motherland country and where I'm actually from, my roots. And um, of course, there's loads of players that have got like one cap for England and they're tied down and they're forgotten about, dashed away. But if they made that decision to go and pay for their actual country country, then you'll be like a, a legend, to be honest with you. What, so what advice would you give someone today listening, thinking about representing whether it's Uganda or Ghana, or potentially England. And I say that obviously with the history of players obviously being capped once, as we know, obviously the commercial opportunities that come obviously playing for England and the pride and legendary status, as you mentioned moments ago, as to representing a country from the motherland. Mm. I'll just say, you just have to be kind of realistic with where you're at in your career, first and foremost. And um, if England's there and you're that's, you have to just ask yourself an honest question, like, would I feel, like, comfortable, proud playing for England or my motherland country? And um, I've had many conversations with me and my brother and my other family members about, like, the meet, like how much it would mean for the family if I paid for Uganda. And that just stood so much more for me, myself personally. So um, I would say for a youngster, first go and go back home and experience it for yourself and just sit there as a game back home, go watch it, get a feeling around the place. And then I think they'll, they'll understand how much it actually means for the fans, their, their own family members, for themselves. Just that feeling within themselves that they'll get from that experience that I got when I first went. Okay, and like being specific, like what, what did you see or what did you feel um, that convinced you, you know, actually I'm going to play for Uganda? Obviously, I know you were there 
to be on international duty. But at the same time, there was still the possibility of changing your allegiance if yeah. that opportunity came up. So what 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 was it? What I mean, what is it you saw or what was it you felt that made you feel, you know what, actually, I'm here to stay? I mean, because you mentioned your mum very briefly. And I say that because there's a lot of, at 35 years of age, myself, there's a lot of things I've learned in recent time that has strengthened my affinity to Ghana. And I'll be honest, I haven't been back to Ghana in 20 years. And, wow. and so, so, yeah, so, I've, so, I've, so you, some would say I've got no business talking about Ghana. <laughs> but, my affinity, but my affinity with Ghana is very, very strong. So what was yours with Uganda that made you feel, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing the shirt? Just um, when I first, like, got there for international June, I was like, bro, I'm, I'm just here by myself. Of course, I've got family there. Then um, the build-up to the game, just like the fans, that they, they just welcomed me. The players welcomed me so much. Um, fans coming up to me saying, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for choosing Uganda. There's not many people within, like, Europe that will come and play for their home country. And um, just seeing the love that I was getting from my family, my mum was just so happy that I was actually playing in Uganda, international, playing at home. And just, it felt right for me personally. It felt right. Like, it's even like people, when I was at Yeovil, for example, and like the coach would make an odd, like, little comment and sly comment, like, just kind of like downplaying Uganda. <laughs> and I was thinking, I'm going because I'm going to have the time of my life. You can stay in Yeovil where it's raining. I'm going back home, 25 plus degrees, family, food, football. Like, why, why should I turn it down? There's no reason. It's funny, I, I actually, um, <laughs> I read an article yesterday or something, um, I don't know if I was reading Wikipedia or an article as to, you had an opportunity, I think, to play for them at first, when, but I think your manager said that um, the call-up was a little bit too late? Yeah, the call-up was late. Cool, so you, yeah, all right, so you didn't go the first time round, yeah. but then, obviously, once you got called up the second time, then you went. Yeah. There's something you said um, that really tweaked my ear, and I know we've touched on it very briefly, now, I want to take you back to maybe when you were, let's say, let's say 15. Um, and obviously, I know you're 25 now, so things have changed, you matured. Now, yeah. what is going through the mind of a 14, 15-year-old as to playing for their country? I know we've discussed, obviously, they want to play for England for, let's say, obvious reasons. So you're talking about the commercial reasons yeah. and the fact that they were born here. But you've mm. also mentioned the fact that when you've gone to Uganda, people see you in the streets and stuff like that and say, thank you for choosing Uganda. Not many people from Europe choose Uganda. So based with those kind of two things that I've said, really, and I don't know if it's a question, um, I want people to understand, because I see a conflict. So I, I, I might be on social media and I'll be reading comments as to, oh, don't select the, the individuals from Europe because they don't, they don't, they don't, their heart's not really in it or... Yeah. Why don't we select the boys who are actually playing in this country at this moment in time? Because it means more mm. to them. Mm. And I actually want to understand. I want, I, want to, I want to build some form of a bridge where people understand, actually, those in Europe, the diaspora, we care as much. But we just haven't... We have, obviously, different perspectives because we've grown up in, obviously, two different places. Yeah. So, I mean, what would you, I mean, what would you say to those individuals? I would just say give it a chance and just go back home and just explore and just find the connection of your roots, to be honest with you. Because, okay, I was born in England. I've got an English passport, but am I really English? You know? 
So back home, Uganda's home. That's my mother. Like, those are my roots. And I only found out. I only found that out when I actually first went there. And um, just coming off the plane, going to my house in Uganda, and just exploring and just opening up my mind to actually where I'm from. I think you can only do that when you actually go back home. To be honest with you. You can only do that when you go back home, which is why I'm I'm due a visit. Um, due a visit, twenty plus years. Can I, can I say something? <laughs> no, it's, it's a, no, no. Can, can I be honest? It's, it's a bit of an embarrassment. I have this conversation <laughs> with friends who are in Ghana quite often, um, so it's something I'm definitely not proud of. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm definitely due a visit. I, I can go. I can go on forever as to why I haven't gone back to Ghana, but the excuses are not good enough. Truth be told. Yeah. Um, so what have you found out about yourself in going back to Uganda? I mean, because you clearly have a very, very strong bond with Uganda. What have I found out? Just um, just in, 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 like with football or just going there? Uh, maybe a bit of a both. Maybe a bit of both, really, because I, I, I find our, our perspectives on football, are, although we all, we, all, we all love or see the beautiful game, I find our perspectives are can be a little bit different. So, I mean, what have you found out about yourself, first and foremost, in going to Uganda? Because ultimately, that bond needs to be created. Yeah, just, um, as I said, just getting in touch with your roots. And um, just, like, I'm Ugandan, and just going there and just (laughs) exploring those roots and just understanding the culture even more. Because, of course, I live in a Ugandan household. My mom speaks Ugandan. I hope she cooks Ugandan food. But then going back home to the village where the power just gets cut at a certain time. Yeah. Just going to the toilet in the garden, just small stuff like that. Yeah. Grandma's house in Uganda. And just um, having conversations with her about my family history and just um, meeting cousins that I've never met before and had building a relationship with them. It's all got a part to play of it. And obviously going to the football part, just exposing myself to different um, styles of football, different types of players. And um, just the talent that's in Uganda itself and the footballers that we've got that, um, that are more than good enough to play in England or Scotland or other places in Europe, but just haven't had the opportunity to because of their in Uganda. But obviously I was lucky I was born here, so I've got them opportunities. It's just um, it's being grateful, really, how lucky I am personally to be able to like actually play football here and just have the opportunities that I've got, period. I know obviously you're in the midst of um, AFCON qualification. I've covered Ghana, obviously on our page and on our website, but not so much obviously Uganda. How is qualification at the moment? And what are the, the general objectives obviously with Uganda? Um, of course, to qualify for the next AFCON, Cameroon. And um, I think we caught a lot of people off guard last year in um, African Cup of Nations. And um, just, of course, I'll say just to get to a World Cup, to be honest with you. That would be my ultimate goal for the Uganda national team and just to uh, go one step further than we did last year. And do you know much about the, the actual league in Uganda? Obviously, I, I, had, I did a little bit of research as to where people are playing and obviously I saw some people playing in South Africa. I know there's obviously a very strong side in South Africa and obviously one or two people playing in the UAE and obviously there's one or two people playing obviously in the UK as well. Um, yeah. I don't know. Is there a, is there a huge... I mean, a huge... I don't know, is there, is there a lot of players, I mean, to pick from, if that makes any sense? Um, within... I, I know, so let, me, let, me, let me take that back. Of course, there, there are definitely players, obviously, to pick from. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a Ugandan league? Yeah, there's a Ugandan league, yeah. 
Cool, cool. Do you know much about the league just in general? Not really. I know like the top teams within Uganda, but um, like Vipers, KCC, and um, yeah, because obviously when I go to the training camps, there's a few players that come from them type of um, teams. So I talk to them about how it's going and just how um, the league's actually set up. But um, it's something I need to get more educated about, to be honest with you. But even like them types of leagues just need to get more exposure for, so them type of players can get exposure to actually make the, um, the, the transition from obviously playing in Uganda to other parts of Africa, other parts of Europe, because there's talent there. It's just hard to see when it's not being televised anywhere. And is there actually a youth, um, a youth side for the international scene? Yeah, there's, there's like under 20s. We spoke about Southampton earlier, um, and I obviously enjoyed that part of the conversation as to the academy and development. I'm hopefully going to be speaking with obviously a performance coach in the coming weeks. Coming from the UK, we have advantages, but there's also obviously a level of professionalism or ticking all the boxes. African players have had a lot of success in Europe um, in recent years, and certainly at this moment in time, whether it's the diaspora or whether it's those coming from Africa. In years gone by, that hasn't always been the case due to obviously situations obviously out of their control, whether it's the beginning of that transition of players from Africa going into Europe or other parts of the world, um, or otherwise, agents, um, so on and so forth. There's so many different stories um, to which have been told as to the difficulties obviously in players transitioning from Africa into Europe. My question is, have you seen these dynamics change? Obviously, I know you've just mentioned very briefly the light needs to be put on Ugandan football and they need to be provided, obviously, maybe a lot more exposure for them to take that jump. But being in Uganda, have you seen... Sorry, well, from what you experienced, obviously, here in the UK, have you yeah. seen anything or very similar in Uganda? I think I know the answer, but I think it's important that you say it, if that makes any sense, obviously, so that enlightens me. Are our counterparts in Africa having the one-to-one sessions? Are they having performance analysis? Yes. Are they having that client client care and obviously the the um, as to potentially commercial opportunities? Yeah, like um, with the Uganda setup now, we've got like um, an analysis now, which um, we didn't have before. Sports science coach, so we are getting like the treatment that we would hear in the UK in Uganda, but I'm not sure if they have that at their club level, but I'm pretty sure they've got like to a certain degree. But um, yeah, I think this, of course, they're going to be like a few years behind like England or Scotland. I feel like they are making that transition to be a bit more, I don't know, just, just playing catch up all the time to be honest with you, but I think they're still, they're making small steps to bridge that gap. <clears throat> cool. And where would you like to see African football in the next five years? And how would you like the diaspora to contribute just um as i said before just make the games more televised so they get opportunities to um to just showcase themselves and um just for them to just get more opportunities i feel like there's so much talent within africa itself that's just gone missing because they haven't been given the opportunities or the right um, information or the right people around them to make that transition just kind of like giving my two pence on my my personal feeling as to Africa and even Ghanaian football. And obviously we've had a laugh and a joke in that I haven't obviously been to Ghana in, yeah, I think it's 20 years. I think it is, I think I went in 2000. I think that's when I went um, to Ghana. Now, I genuinely believe that there's enough potential in Africa, Uganda or Ghana aside, for a real challenge to be sustained or made 
on world football. That is my honest opinion, genuine mm. opinion. But I feel a lot of people need to work um, in unison. I don't know. I think people, there's been too much of a scattergun um, approach. And I feel that now is the time for these changes to be implemented or people take it upon themselves to want to actually invest back in Africa or invest in certain parts of Africa to yeah. push, push, push football. And I just genuinely believe, yes, obviously it's incumbent obviously on the football federations in Africa to invest in the football back there. But I also believe it's time people took some personal responsibility to actually either go to Africa or actually invest themselves in terms of obviously finding a bit more about, obviously about football in Africa yeah. and, you know, ultimately take it to the next level. Definitely. I totally agree. Totally agree. Because um, there's talent there. There's talent there. Like, um, for example, when we played in AFCON, there was players that just made a career from that tournament alone and got a move from that tournament that were playing in Uganda, that were playing in other parts of Africa and got moves to bigger leagues within Africa, like South Africa or Egypt or um, Tanzania, for example. It was just getting the opportunity, but there were just a handful of lucky players that got the opportunity to play for Uganda in a major competition that gave that got them that opportunity. But I'm sure like people need to start investing and actually looking at the talent there and just, you know, just building a foundation for them. Definitely. I mean, in my last in our last podcast, I was speaking with um, Jennifer Kujo and she was saying she's a Ghanaian international. Um, she's a Ghanaian international and she was saying that she was, I think, at university, I think, at the time. And yeah. no, she wasn't at university, sorry. She was playing for the youth side and they played in a tournament. And because her sister was in the States, she her sister was able to speak to her college coach who yeah. watched her, and that's how she got her move to the USA to get a scholarship. And eventually she's now obviously playing for a club in the US, she's playing for Sky Blue FC. And that's wow. how she's made her name in the game. And mm. the same will be for many other individuals in Africa who unfortunately are relying on that on that big tournament in order to get that big move. But we've seen a number of individuals in recent years, such as the Thomas Parties, and and there, there are so many more on the Ghanaian scene just alone who have mm. made that transition. And I, and I personally believe the talent is there. It's about putting the infrastructure in place in order for everybody to succeed. Definitely. I totally agree, for sure. Oh, and sorry, just before we close, I mean, what is the history of Ugandan football as to maybe players and 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 progress in African nations? Um, I think last year was like the first time in 40 plus years that we got out of the group stage in AFCON. Okay. So um, that was a big achievement in itself. And to be a part of that and to see the joy on like the coaching staff's faces was pretty, it's good to see. And um, just, yeah, I think that was probably one of the biggest achievements for them, from Ugandan Graves, to be honest with you. Uh, for me to be a part of that, there's something else to be, to be fair. On that note, we close the interview. It was great to see and hear the pride in his voice in playing for Uganda. But following speaking with Bevis and exchanging our stories on when I was last in Ghana, but also how many times he'd been to Uganda prior to his call-up, it made me think of the disconnect, or the difference between the diaspora and those in Africa. And in looking for answers and solutions, it made me think identity is part of the problem, or a problem that can't be solved, but understood. It's a journey. Just as we have different regions and tribes in Africa, there's another region and extension, which is the diaspora. For the diaspora, at the ages of 14 and 15, some haven't been to Africa often enough to develop an affinity with our roots despite their language and culture being in our homes. We haven't matured ourselves, so that comes with time, as seen with Bevis. We have immense pride in our country, but it's just different. We have dual nationality, 
and is spending more time in your early years in your country of birth than your heritage, you develop other attachments. The football federations have a difficult job in being able to recruit the diaspora at youth level. I've always believed countries from Africa, such as Ghana and Uganda, should hold camps in places like the UK to build a bond. In being born in that said country, you have attachments, and that's before drawing comparisons with what is the better option, but that's objective. Before beginning the interview, Bevis had a real glow as to his reception in Uganda. It was great to hear him impart his experience and wisdom, and speaking to his point, former World Player of the Year George Weah and European Cup winners Didier Drogba and Samuel Eto'o, Eto'o also an African Nations winner and Olympic gold medalist. They, among many, winner have been as revered and have the profiles they do today if they had played for France respectively, as Drogba recently discussed at UEFA Gala, pride and impact he had in the Ivory Coast. It's the pinnacle of your career to play at an international tournament, but the fanfare is often over in a heartbeat, but long live the memories you shared and gave to other people. The love, admiration and adulation remains part of the fabric of the country, as seen with the late great Diego Maradona. We didn't touch on any of Bevis' experiences as a player. As always, it's very interesting, but I wanted to discuss his journey in becoming an international player of Uganda, creating history and reaching the last 16 for the first time in 40 years in the African nations. Be sure to follow Bevis at B underscore M321 on Instagram and Twitter. Let us know what you took from the conversation. Much appreciated, Bevis. Um, that's it for this week. We'll be posting as usual via social media, keeping up with the stories as they unfold in the coming weeks. As always, if you've got any questions or queries, email us at teamgarnereu at gmail.com or tweet or DM us at teamgarnereu on IG or Twitter. Thank you. Take care. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.